0: The Word of God we read this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I've indicated already that the sermon is about the Holy Spirit, it's Lord's Day 20. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? As we read this chapter, think of two questions, one, the easy one, where in the chapter is the Spirit? spoken of, and the second, harder, where in the chapter is reference made to the work of the Spirit, and what is that work? The Word of God is 2 Corinthians 3. The two questions are where does the chapter refer to the Spirit, and what is the work of that Spirit? This is the Word of God. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God." not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, this is a reference to the Old Testament law, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding, and open face there is a reference to unveiled, we all with open face beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's the reading of the scripture this morning. It's on the basis of passages like that that we have the teaching of the catechism in Lord's Day 20. Back of the Psalter on page 12, question and answer 53. We're coming now to the section of the Apostles' Creed. The explanation of the Apostles' Creed began with God the Father, continued with God the Son, now God the Holy Spirit. Here's the Spirit in Lord's Day 20. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? First, that He is true and eternal God, co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that He is also given me. To make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all His benefits that He may comfort me and abide with me forever. You notice that the catechism first identifies who the Spirit is. Second, what the Spirit does. He is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. And second, He is given to me to make me partaker of Christ and all Christ's benefits, so that He comforts me and abides with me forever. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is before us this morning. I want to begin teaching the doctrine of the Spirit from the Scripture with this statement. There must be a living union between every head and every body. There must be a living union between every head and every body. That's true for the physical body. That's true in relationship of marriage where a man is the head and the woman is the body. And that's true in the church of Christ where Christ is head and the church is the body. There must be between the head and the body always a living union. And the spirit is that union. It's easy as that. The Spirit is what connects the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, to the body. And if there isn't that union, there is no life in the body. If there's not that connection between the head and the body, in the human body, there is no life. If there is not that connection between the husband and the wife in marriage, there is disaster and if there is no union between head Christ and body church, there is no salvation for us. And that's why the catechism says what it does. The Spirit is given to me to make me a partaker of Christ and all His benefits. The Spirit unites me to Him so that what He has for us, we have in our possession. So, I want us to see the big picture this morning, not just in the introduction, but in the whole of the first point of the sermon. We need to step back and see what's going on with regard to the teaching of the Catechism, with regard to the teaching of the Apostles' Creed, and with regard to the doctrine of salvation. See the big picture. The big picture of the Heidelberg Catechism, which really is the teaching of the Gospel, is simply this. We have such great misery. In our sin and depravity, and so great a salvation by faith in Christ. That's the teaching of the Catechism. And then the Catechism will end. For that so great a salvation, we want to express gratitude by obeying the commandments and praying. So great misery, so great salvation, so great gratitude. Here we are in the explanation of that so great salvation which is given to us by faith. Now, we're trying to get the big picture perspective. That salvation is given to us by faith. Faith is our union with Christ. Faith is a confession of everything the Scripture teaches, and the Catechism wisely for us summarizes it very simply with the doctrine of the Apostles' Creed. All 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed We're simply marching through. We've seen so far the doctrine of God the Father, creation and providence. The doctrine of God the Son, Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And you say it every Sunday evening, all those articles of the Apostles' Creed. Now we're finished with the doctrine of God the Son, and we come to the doctrine of God the Spirit. Heidelberg Catechism, so great misery, so great salvation... So great gratitude. Salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God now the Holy Spirit. That's Lord's Day 20. And you mustn't imagine that we're beginning a new subject. That's the point here to get the big picture perspective. This is not a new subject. What God the Father planned for our salvation and God the Son accomplished in saving us, God the Holy Spirit now must come To create that living union between God the Son and us, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago must be worked in us in our lifetime. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So I want to call your attention this morning to the Holy Spirit's marvelous work. Marvelous work. And don't miss that word marvelous, because I mean by that miraculous, wonderful. It's a marvel what the Holy Spirit does. And when we look at that work of the Holy Spirit first, that's going to be the majority of the sermon this morning, the identity of the Holy Spirit is going to come second, and we know that, so that's not going to be so long and then how the Spirit is given to us third. When we look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the first place, I want to stand way back also and not look so narrowly at what the Holy Spirit does in what we would call sanctification. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. The three points of the sermon this morning are what the Spirit does, who the Spirit is, and third, how the Spirit is our own. What the Spirit does if you look back at Lord's Day 8, is the work of sanctification. In Lord's Day 8, the articles of the Apostles' Creed are divided up into three parts. The first, of God the Father and our creation. The second, of God the Son and our redemption. That's what Christ did for us. And third, of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Now, you young people or older who've gone through catechism have learned the word sanctification. And you usually think of that word sanctification in a very narrow way because you learn that the steps or elements of salvation are regeneration, calling, faith, justification, sanctification, preservation, and glorification. All of those are the seven elements Elements of our salvation. You think of sanctification as a very narrow thing. You must not do that this morning. We need to see that the catechism in Lord's Day 8 speaks of sanctification in the sense of the whole of our salvation. And the whole of our salvation needs to be seen in the perspective of of the whole of the work of the Holy Spirit, which is a grand work, a marvelous work. And so, in the first point of the sermon, I want to draw as it were three big circles, or more than three. And the outer circle, where the Holy Spirit begins His work, and then begin going in, and then end with that central work that the Catechism calls sanctification. And you'll see there that that work of sanctification is not the simple thing you learn in Catechism as separating you from sin and making you a holy person. It's richer, far richer than that. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not so easy to determine because the Bible itself says that the Spirit is self-effacing. Self-effacing is the theological term of a shy person. Somebody just this morning told me about a shy person in their life. They don't want to be in the foreground. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be talked about. That's a description of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that in John 16, that when the Spirit is come, He will not speak of Himself. Whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, look at Me. The Holy Spirit says, look at Jesus, the central work that I am involved in. So even in the study of the broadest work of the Spirit, it's difficult to see except you look at the Scripture and listen. And then you say there's far more in the Bible about the Spirit than you'd ever imagine. Start with creation. The creation of God in the beginning was a triune work. We may say God the Father created, but don't forget Colossians 1 that says the son did all things were created by him and if anybody remembers Genesis 1 verse 2 you remember that it was the spirit of God that moved upon the face of the water God created the whole unformed mass of creation The heavens and the earth unformed. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. You need to understand by that, that in the next six days, it was the Spirit as the power of God that sorted out from that chaotic mass of unformed matter the distinct creatures, each one of them. As you see when you look in the worlds now, up in the sky and down below here on earth. The Spirit did that. And that's why Psalm 33 says, All the host of them, God made by the breath of His mouth. The Spirit is God's powerful breath. Outer circle, creation. The Holy Spirit made the worlds. And remember, we're aiming at the central work of the Spirit, but He's preparing for that central work by being involved in creation. And then inside that outer circle, You can look at the doctrine of providence. That's the work of God to uphold and govern everything that He made in the beginning. And the work of the Spirit is there too. We sang 287. Thy Spirit. Oh Lord, makes life to abound. The earth is renewed and fruitful the ground. You can't help but rejoice in the springtime when you see the grass growing again and the trees blossoming and you're ready to plant your garden. There's life there. When you see that, think of the Spirit and think of Psalm 104, from which 287 comes, when we sing, Thy Spirit, O oh Lord, makes life to abound. The Spirit governs the worlds. That's why one of the ancient creeds calls the Spirit the Lord and giver of life. That's the second circle, providence. But before we leave that one, don't forget that providence is the work of God to govern the whole world, not just to make the plants to grow and the sun to rise every morning and the moon to appear bright as it was again last night, but to govern the hearts of men. It's the Spirit that does that. So, uh, Proverbs 21 verse 1 says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whithersoever he will as the rivers of water. If you ever see a river meandering back and forth, you think of God's work in the heart of kings to turn the heart this way one day and that way the next day. That's the Spirit's work in the hearts of kings. Be specific. Think of Cyrus. Before that, think of Pharaoh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God raised up Pharaoh. How did he do that? The Spirit did that. And when God commissioned Cyrus to let the people go out of the land of Babylon, and Cyrus made that decree to go, it was the Spirit that was working there. And that means you must not misunderstand our objection, the Protestant Reformed objection to the doctrine of common grace. The doctrine of common grace is error. When we oppose the doctrine of common grace in its second point with regard to the restraint of sin in a man, we don't believe that God graciously restrains sin in men. You must not deny that God restrains sin. He does. You must not deny either that God comes in His Spirit in the heart of a man and restrains sin. He didn't let Pharaoh do everything Pharaoh wanted to do. And he doesn't let men and women today do everything that they would like to do against the church of Christ. By His Spirit, he does restrain inside men and women by His Spirit. This is our objection to that teaching. He doesn't do it graciously. It's not the favor of God when He restrains them from breaking out in all of the sins they might be able to to perform. That's the work of the Spirit though that He does that. Creation. The Spirit was involved in creation. Providence. The Spirit still today works upholding and governing all the details as well as the grand scheme of things in the world. And all of that for the sake of the salvation. Now we come closer to the middle of this circle. All of that for the sake of the salvation of His people. But we're not going to get to the center yet because there, are, there is another ring before we get there. And that is the ring which is the doctrine of the Word. God's Word is the main tool by which He is going to save His people in Jesus Christ. The Word. Now think about that Word for a moment. When that word was first spoken by man in the beginning, of course God spoke it directly when He appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden and to Moses in the mountain, but when men began to speak that word and speak it authoritatively, they did it by the power of the Spirit. That's what the doctrine of inspiration is. The Spirit was in them, inspiration, and they were able to speak truth. Every word they spoke was truth. And then after that, that word that was spoken needed to be written down and the Spirit enabled them to write it down word for word, the Word of God. And so you read in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They spoke as they were moved by by the Holy Spirit. And then they put to pen, pen to paper, and wrote what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write so that what we have in this book is word for word, the Word of God. And then don't think that we don't really have the Word of God because they're copy after copy after copy, how many generations of copies? We don't have those original papers that Moses wrote. We don't have one single document That was the original document of the Scripture. And yet, that was the work of the Spirit too, wasn't it? To preserve that Word so that when the people of God memorized it and the scribes wrote it down and the Levites taught it, they taught it faithfully. And you do not have to doubt that what we have here is word for word the Word of God. And when there was debate in the early New Testament church about which books that were in existence before the 66 books of the canon were put together, when there was debate, the Holy Spirit led the church, guided the church to choose these 66 and reject some others. Read in the Belgian Confession, which are the apocryphal books. They're not to be considered equal value with these 66 books. Who was involved in the work of the church to make those determinations and to recognize what the Word of God was? Well, it's the Spirit. Because not only does John 16 say that the Spirit doesn't speak of Himself, John 16 says He's the Spirit of truth. And when He's come, He will guide you into all truth. And part of truth is that this Word is the Word of God. But we're not finished with that circle yet when we talk about the Word. Having said what we've said so far, still today, God reveals truth to us by His Spirit. When you want to think of the saving union between Christ and us, and the saving benefits that are given to us, think of the Word. It's by the Word. We're going to end with that this morning. It's the work of the Spirit to open the mind of the minister during the week so that he understands the Word and can speak that Word clearly to you. It's the work of the Spirit to bring him to the pulpit on a Sunday morning and evening and speak that Word. And it's the work of the Spirit to open your hearts so that you not only hear it with your ears, but believe it. Believe it. That's the Spirit's work. God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Now, having created the worlds, having governed them for 6,000 years, for us now, 6,000 years, and having prepared the Word to be the instrument for our salvation, preserve the Word, the Holy Spirit comes to bring Christ into The world and start with the bringing of Christ into the world. You remember, children, what Mary said when God told her that she'd have a baby and she didn't even have a husband? How shall this be, Mary said to the angel? Remember what the angel said? The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee and the power of the highest, that's the Holy Spirit too, shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing shall, that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. How did that young woman get pregnant without a husband? By the Spirit of God. How did Christ come into the world? By that Spirit. So that a virgin could become pregnant and bring forth a baby. And marvel of the work of the Spirit is that from an unclean woman could come a clean son. And the question of the Old Testament, how can, an un, how can a clean thing come out of an unclean, can be answered by the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ. And I've explained the virgin birth that way before. That the Holy Spirit acted, as it were, as a filter. To filter out the sinfulness of Mary's nature. So that that sinful woman could bring forth a sinless child. Are you watching Christ come into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit? Did you listen when He began His earthly ministry? And went to John to be baptized That the Spirit of God came down from heaven in the form of a dove and rested upon Him and filled Him so that all of the work that the Lord Jesus did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's but a man, personally God, but empowered by that Holy Spirit. That's what drove Him to the cross. And if we may jump ahead That's what drives you to do what you are called to do. It's the spirit of Christ in you. Otherwise, we'd never be able to do what we're called to do. But now look at Christ and see what he did. All of the work that he did, he had his eyes fixed on Jerusalem at the end of that three and a half year ministry and the hill where was planted the cross, Golgotha, where he died. He was driven to do nothing more than take upon himself all of our sins and bear them away on the cross how? by the power of the Holy Spirit in John 3 verse 34 there's an expression that you might miss it's put in the negative God didn't give Him the Spirit by measure the Lord Jesus Christ didn't get a measured portion of the Spirit, this much for you, this much for you, that much for me. He was given the Spirit without measure. That explains why He did what He did. He had the fullness of the Spirit. And then you remember the first sermon that He preached in Nazareth, His hometown where He grew up. He went to the synagogue. They opened up the Bible. He chose the passage that spoke of the Spirit in Isaiah 60 and said, "...the Spirit of the Lord..." Is upon me today. He's anointed me today to do the work that I've got to do. And for three and a half years, He did that work that the Spirit empowered Him to work. If we listen to the Bible, you hear how involved the Spirit is with everything creation, providence, the Word the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then after the Lord Jesus Christ came and gave Himself up for us, Peter says in chapter 3, verse 18, that He was quickened by the Spirit. He was killed by the flesh, put to death by the flesh. He was quickened, that is, raised from the dead by the Spirit. Do you see the Spirit ever absent from anything, creation, providence for 6,000 years or 4,000 till Christ came. Then the virgin birth, the Spirit was there. The work of the Lord Jesus, the Spirit was there. After He died, the Spirit was there to raise Him from the dead. You expect anything less than that the Spirit be there when Christ descends up into heaven? It was the Spirit that's given to Christ. He becomes the Spirit of Christ and now comes down to us To give us all of the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the work of sanctification. Sanctification. All that work the Spirit did was aiming at this central work. That the Lord Jesus Christ could become ours. And there be a living union created between Him and us. And through that living union, all of His could become ours. Everything He earned for us could be given to us. And everything He is could be in us. Christ dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. What a marvel of marvels. What a wonder that God has worked for our salvation. Sanctification, what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, now Jesus in His Spirit gives to us in our lifetime. You may think of that work of sanctification that Lord's Day 8 refers to. Remember God the Father in creation, God the Son in redemption, God the Spirit in sanctification. You may think of that sanctification in the broadest sense of the Word as the fullness of our salvation. Let me explain what that means now for a moment. We're looking at that central work of the Spirit to sanctify us. If you children have not yet had that word in catechism, then you may learn that this morning. It's a big word, but it's not so hard to understand. The word is sanctification. Sanctification, The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That big word simply means that the Spirit makes us holy. And you don't yet know what it means to be made holy, except that you remember that being made holy is to be separated from sin and consecrated to God. To be washed from filth And to be prepared for the master's use and fellowship. To be made holy is to be sanctified. To be sanctified is to be separated from sin and consecrated to God. How do you do that if you don't have life in regeneration? That's the first element of salvation that we learn In catechism, regeneration, calling, faith, justification, sanctification, preservation, glorification. All of that salvation of ours includes that narrow definition of sanctification. But sanctification needs to be looked at broadly in this sense. God gives you the life of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you begin to separate yourself from sin. Hate it. God calls you out of darkness into His light. That's part of sanctification too. Making you holy. Making you hate sin. Making you love Him. Regeneration. Calling faith. He unites you to Jesus Christ by faith. And you mustn't imagine that these seven steps of salvation are done independently. But they're all different ways of understanding how God sanctifies us. That is, takes us out of the filth of sin. Brings us out of the world of darkness and iniquity. And brings us unto Himself. To Himself. That's sanctification. Even in the narrow sense of the word. We learn that. Separation from sin. Consecration to God. The goal of all of God's work. From the very beginning to the very end. And it will be into all eternity. The goal of all of God's saving work is to draw you with cords of love into His bosom so that you know how much He loves you and you respond by saying, God, I love you too. And you'll know that into all eternity. That's the work of the Spirit. He's the one that draws you to God. Rest your head on His bosom so that you may have peace and hope and comfort. The Spirit does that is the living union between the Lord Jesus Christ and us. You understand that when the Spirit comes to us and dwells in us, Christ is coming to us and dwelling in us. That's why the Catechism says that by a true faith He makes me partaker of Christ all his benefits. Don't think for a moment that Christ is standing at a distance commissioning his Holy Spirit to bring to us down on earth the blessings that he's earned for us while he himself stays up in heaven independent of us. No Christ comes in the Spirit to dwell in us. That's how intimate is the relationship between God and his people. And then having given himself to us he gives us all his benefits if we could start over in church history and that's foolish to think of but just imagine for a moment and we got the name Pentecostalism for us we would understand it rightly the Pentecostals today don't the Pentecostals today say you have Christ and all his benefits we they say, have the Spirit and all His benefits. You have the lesser gifts. We have the greater gifts. You have Christ. We have the Spirit. And that's an error. That's monumental. Because when the Spirit came to us, He did not come to give us something other than Christ. He came to give us Christ Himself and all His benefits. Life, holiness, righteousness, love this is the ministration of the spirit that paul talks about in second corinthians 3 that is so so glorious christ comes and then two more things quickly in this first point i said the second and third would be brief two more things here when the spirit comes and gives us christ and all his benefits he doesn't give it to us all at once so that we have everything The first time He came to us, He gives it to us by little and little. Remember that expression in the Old Testament when the Israelites came to take the land of Canaan? God said, I'm not going to give it to you all at once. I'm going to give it to you by little and little, a little at a time. And that's how it goes with the Holy Spirit to us. He doesn't give us all of Christ at the very beginning. It's a progressive work. And there's where you learn the doctrine of progressive sanctification. Which we've always taught and must teach. Because there's the more and more. There's the from glory to glory that we read in 2 Corinthians 3. As we stand in the presence of God, we're formed into His His image more and more. That's first. That holiness and sanctification and Christ coming to us is progressive and second the catechism makes clear to us that that's how we're comforted too that he may abide with me and comfort me forever and that's that's all of a piece you don't have christ without comfort you don't have comfort without christ but now add this you don't have comfort without sanctification there is no comfort and peace for you if you're living in unholiness if having been called out of the world you want to go back into the world and expect comfort then you must see that's an error in your mind and you will find that to be your experience too sanctification is that God separates us from sin and it's only when we're walking in that way close to Him hating sin and more and more loving Him that we have the comfort of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ it's a progressive work it's the only way in which we have comfort now the second and third points I can be more brief but they're just as important the second point asks who is this spirit that sanctifies us and there are a number of answers number one the Lord's day 20 says He's true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. We've known that from the very beginning of Christian history. But we had to struggle to come to that confession because there were opponents that said, God the Father is God, and they came to confess God the Son, Jesus is God. But there was a period of time before they were able to say the Holy Spirit is God too. So read the Athanasian Creed in the back of the altar this afternoon, if you think of it and see the beautiful confession that the Holy Spirit is God, God, nothing less than God Himself, not just a power that comes from God, but God, and that makes sense. No one but God could bring the order out of the chaos that was there at the very beginning in creation. No one but God could form the creatures beautiful as they are and enable the plants still today to blossom and produce fruit. No one but God could do that. That's a marvel as much as any marvel is. God does that. Well, it takes God to sanctify us too, because I am so stubborn and I am so self willed as you are that I would never come out of the world and be devoted to Him unless God came to me and did that work in me. God must sanctify us. What a marvelous work in the church too. That He works not just to sanctify me individually. But to sanctify us. So that I'm willing to talk to you. Even though you hurt me perhaps. And I'm not speaking to anyone over there now. But you understand what I'm saying. That we're willing to get together. We all came out of darkness. We're all in the light now. And we all love one another. And you say the only explanation of that is God by His powerful Spirit. So the answer to the question who He is is first, He's God. Second, He's a person. Don't ever say about the Spirit, He's an it. The person of the Holy Spirit is a He. It's a, I just did it. He is a person, a person. God the Father is a person, God the Son is a person, and God the Holy Spirit is a person. And that makes sense too because if there's going to be a living union between the head and the body, it's going to be a personal union. And I think I've said before, if anyone ever asks you if you have a personal relationship to God and Jesus, say absolutely yes, through the person of the Holy Spirit. Third. He's the Holy Spirit, because God is holy, He's holy. He was the Holy Spirit in all eternity before the creation of the world, devoting God to Himself in those three persons, and when He comes to work outside of Himself, He's going to work that same work that when God adopts a people to Himself to be a part of His bigger family now. The family of the Trinity now becomes larger. When the family is gathered to Him, the work of the Spirit is to consecrate the family to Him, devoted to Him, separated from sin, hating sin, and loving Him. Holy Spirit. And fourth, remember, He is the Spirit of Christ Himself. Don't ever divorce the Spirit from Christ. Just like you must never divorce God the Father in creation from God the Son in redemption, you must never divorce the Spirit in our sanctification from the Son and from the Father. They are one, and their work is one. He is the Spirit of Christ. As 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, He is the Spirit of the Lord. There's such an identity between the Spirit and Jesus that Paul says here, the Lord is that spirit. The greatest marvel is given to you, he's a gift. Read Lord's Day 20. What do you believe about the Holy Ghost? That He is given to me. I didn't earn him. I don't work for Him. There's no merit in me for Him. That's the error of the Pentecostals. That's the error of the Arminian. We must not make that error to imagine for one moment that I do something to get Him. He's given to me. If you're Pentecostal, you have to do this work. Empty yourself. You won't receive the Spirit unless first you Make yourself open to the Spirit. And aside from the absolute folly of opening yourself to any Spirit that will come along, disaster will be the consequence. Apart from that, you can't open yourself to the Spirit unless the Spirit is first given to you. You can't make a decision for Christ unless the Spirit first came and gave you life, the life of Christ. Then you say, I want Him. I love Him. I believe Him and I trust Him. The marvel of all marvels is that He's given to me, how? As a gift. And then second, the marvel is that God is still pleased to use this, this tool as the instrument by which the Spirit comes to us. Remember the first point? The grand circle of creation that the Spirit was involved in, the work of providence that the Spirit is still involved in, and then that next inner circle, the Spirit created the Word first by speaking it through the prophets and then having them write it down and then preserving it. This is the instrument by which the Spirit comes to us. And that's why you're here. To listen to a man, a weak, sinful man, open up, the word and explain the word to you why would you do that twice on Sunday for all of your life because you are convicted of the glorious ministration of the spirit about which Paul spoke in 2nd Corinthians 3 the ministration of condemnation in the Old Testament was even glorious law judgment wrath condemnation If that was glorious, this is more glorious, the ministration of the Spirit. Reread that chapter and see how the apostle is speaking about the Word. So go back to what Jesus himself prayed and said in John 16 He's the Spirit of truth. And the prayer in John 17 that God sanctifies us by the truth. Thy Word is truth. And you will never say, I don't want the Word. And you will always say to yourself and to your children, let's come to church. We use that expression. Let's go to worship. We use that expression. Let's come to hear the preaching of the word. Because you know that that's the way in which the Holy Spirit of Christ comes to give you all the blessings of Christ. His comfort, His presence, His everything through the word. There's a living union between the head, Christ, and us, the body. And that union is the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for speaking to us truth. Whatever was spoken that was not truth, forgive and remove and enable us to hear what was according to the Scripture and may it be then for us a sanctifying power to make us a holy people who hate sin and flee from it and love Thee and are devoted to Thee more and more. Now give us a good day, Father, bring us back this evening and unite us as a body the church of Christ in this place. For Jesus' sake, amen.